Welcome along to season eight of the Make Life Work podcast. I am Cy Jobling, side project hustler for over two decades, whilst being a father of two and full-time engineering manager. This podcast is all about finding a balance between life, work, and any side projects. So I invite along people from around tech to talk about some of the projects they've delivered and the techniques they might use to do so. This week, we're talking to Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator, a polymath from Missouri in the USA. I hooked up with Dustin late last year, just as we concluded season seven, and I was keen to discuss his ideas of polymathy, generalism, and multidisciplines, especially as someone who juggles so many skills in his life. This is Making Polymathy with Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. So welcome along, Dustin M, Poly Innovator. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've had my coffee. We're ready for this meeting. You're, you coffeeed up. I'm in the middle yes. of a coffee, so I might be sipping yeah. here and there, but I'm glad you're ready. Um, thanks for joining me as well from the other side of the pond. Your whereabouts yeah. in the states are you from? Thank you for having me. I'm in the Midwest, so Missouri, so it's like the most landlocked state you can go. <laughs> wow. So nowhere near the coast. No, no, no sea. No nice holidays, as it were. There is a river somewhat adjacent, <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> But that's that's maybe all you need—a little bit of water with the sunshine. I know, like with Missouri's animals, sometimes you don't want to be in those rivers or something like that. Okay, noted. Yeah. Yeah. We'll avoid them on the on the short trips. Thanks for joining me. It's um, wonderful to have you on board. Um, I think you're the first guest on this series, series eight of Make Life Work. And you reached out to me um, late last year to try and arrange something. I was like, interesting. I want to know where this is going to go. So <laughs> before we go into the detail, can you tell us a bit about what kind of professional background you've got and how you Mm. got to where you are now well i've always been kind of entrepreneurial and that kind of always led me to be kind of a self-starter and always wanted to do more and so even when i was 10 i had my own business and when i started working in my late teenage years i started becoming a lifeguard then a swim instructor pool manager waterworks instructor eventually fitness attendant personal trainer uh barista let's see escape room game master elevator operator uh, makeup shipment person. I don't know how to explain it. I trained underneath a DJ for a little bit, but didn't work out. I am running karaoke now every once in a while, so I do DJ or KJ that. And beyond that, I create content online. Wow. I mean, is there anything you've not done? It just sounds like uh, you, your LinkedIn could go on. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. I, I definitely want to have all my stuff on my LinkedIn, and sometimes they like limit you. Like I, I actually filled up all the skills on LinkedIn and had to go in and delete. Like, not so important skills, but more important skills. It's funny. You've completed LinkedIn by the sound of it. Yes. <laughs> if you look at my profile on there, like, I filled that out to the brim. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you put me to shame, but uh, you, you jumped in a lot of areas there. You've had, like, swimming instructor, barristers, DJ, and music. Mm-hmm. Were there any of these areas where you spent a bit more time where you thought, you know, I want to really focus on this? Or did you just kind of just jump around different things just to see what works? Well, it's easy to say like, oh, when I list out all those different things, oh, this guy is like not really paying attention to any of these things. I've been teaching swimming for nearly eight years. I've been a water books instructor for six and a half. I actually just recently at the end of last year resigned from teaching just because I was getting burned out. But I taught that for six years straight, like five to 13 classes a week. And it, it, it was brutal. And the thing is, I love doing it. I love teaching people. I love getting them back into fitness and getting them into shape. Especially after quarantine, that was like a really important deal for me is to help these people get back on track. And so I spent a lot of time doing a lot of those things. I was a barista for about a year. I was a cashier for about a few years. So I did things for a while. I was a 
escape room game master for like a year so it wasn't necessarily too long on the macro but i stayed there like every day or multiple days a week swimming i think is probably going to be with me forever honestly like i think if i move to like austin texas which is a goal of mine or even singapore across across the world mm-hmm. like those are two places that are very different but two places i want to go to i think in both cases i'll still be teaching swim lessons in some capacity that's wonderful and, and with that educational sort of mindset and training mindset you, you're never going to turn off from that i'm, I'm yeah. married to a teacher and i know this thing never turns off so I'm do you feel like that's that's your life really the way you're going yeah. Well, I think even like when we were talking on Twitter, I might have gotten a little teachy about like this podcasting or something like that. Like, hey, if you need help with videos, podcasting, like I got you or something like that. It's just kind of in my nature to be didactic. And some people really hate it and some people really love it. They call me the tool guy. If they have a problem, they come to me. I'll teach them about this tool or what I know about this problem and I, I can help out. But again, it's a great quality to have and it probably lends into where you're going with where your career is now, at now. So yeah. could you tell us a bit about what you, we introduced you as the poly innovator, but what does that even mean? And can you explain where that comes from a little bit more, please? Yeah. So I started creating content about 12, I guess, 10 years ago at this point uh, for like a WordPress blog, just blogging. And that was not really the greatest content quality. Like I was just starting out, but I was learning about social media marketing back then in 2012, which is really early on. And I was already a user of many platforms and learning about all these different platforms and learning about creating content, creating quality and trying to create more. And my endeavor was to create like a hub of innovation, bring you innovators from around the world together. That was the ideal. Uh, world unity through self-development is I kind of had as, as a tagline. And the idea was to help build people up in the micro so that the macro would be bigger and better. And so that kind of was the goal. I was creating content around there. Eventually, I realized that I wasn't good enough in order to complete that goal, at least not yet. And that's a, it was a good thing. It wasn't like not having self-confidence. It was just realizing I don't know enough to really do this. So I pivoted and switched to a personal brand and tried to really build out my own mindsets, my own skills. And after high school, I spent all those years pursuing self-development anyways. Poly Innovator came about because I was trying to build out a personal brand, build out content. And Poly Innovator means polymath of innovation. And a lot of people don't know what polymath is, so before I finish rambling I'll, I'll explain that real quick a polymath is someone with many skills or deep learnings and many different areas so you can think of like leonardo da vinci for example da vinci is a really good shout actually because i think he's <laughs> one that immediately comes to attention to my mind when you say yeah. the word polymath but it's not a phrase that's thrown around much i think you yeah. know it might be in more psychology mindsets and communities like that and maybe some more uh, deeper stories but the phrase jack of all trades gets thrown around as well and you know t-shaped people yeah where do you see like how the three of them sort of interacts and the differences between them all because you've recently talked about some of one of your podcast episodes i think as well I, okay you did your research there let's do it yeah well my my show the polymath polycast started out uh, just because i had a lot of different series and topics i wanted to talk about poly meaning much or many polycast meaning many podcasts essentially in one and Recently, I put out this idea called the multidisciplinary spectrum, which allows mm. for all these different terms that people may identify with, like T-shaped or jack of trades, polymath, generalist, anything under the sun that was like related to being multidisciplinary. Mm. I put in a, like a chart that you can find yourself along that line. Like, hey, I may be skilled in many areas, but not very deeply, more of a jack of trades. I may be skilled in one area really well, but I also have interest in a wide. You're more of a T-shaped person. 
out of like the 50 plus shows I've been on, you're the first person to mention T-shaped person, really. At least that really? I can remember. Yeah. And because I've always been the one bringing it up. And one thing I wanted to touch on, too, is like when I talk about polymathy, like you said, people bring up jack of all trades. But ironically, jack of all trades is not a bad thing. Like we talked about that right at the beginning when I was doing all those different jobs. People's mindsets is like when I say I did 12 different jobs, they think, oh, he's a dabbler. He's not spending much time deeply in those areas. But that's not, that wasn't true. I spent nearly a decade teaching. And so oftentimes the, th- the phrase jackal traits, master of none gets thrown around. That's yeah. only half of the phrase. It continues, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And that's a really important piece that gets often missed. Absolutely. And uh, being a, an engineering manager, so I, I look mm-hmm. after um, a range of engineers and the tech is quite broad, as we know. Oh, yeah. you know we, we both work in it. And I, I think that's where the T-shaped engineer mindset comes from. We, we, lo- we look for people that are generally quite well widely skilled but they have an area that they really are strong at and we can say well use that to your advantage but don't limit yourself to that bar on the t-shirt or trench if you will yeah um maybe look at multiples and i think it's where the polymathy comes into it where you're thinking you're not Mm. just skilled in one area you're you're actually deeply skilled in many areas so is that where you feel like you're falling into the 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 book of your Mm. uh, spectrum now yeah so it's interesting because a lot of people kind of associate polymathy with almost an ego to it. And the thing is, it's more about a descriptor. It's more along the lines of like, hey, I do many different things. And it's like if I go to somebody like, hey, I'm a polymath. And it's like, well, okay, that's great. But what does that mean? And also, too, when they when you explain what it means, people are kind of like, oh, so you're better than me. It's like, no, that's not what it means. I just really have interest in many different areas. And I love learning many different areas. And so a lot of people have that distinction when it's like, oh, okay, specialists versus like expert generalist, so to speak. But I definitely think that I'm on the path of polymathy. I kind of hesitate to say I'm a polymath, but in actuality, I might be like a budding polymath, so to speak. So I think it does take course to a lifetime to really get to, if not like halfway through. But the, the fact you use that word budding means you're more humble yeah. in this. You're just, you're, you're using your research and analogies to kind of identify where you're at. And I think mm-hmm. I've been in this position a few times in my past as well. I was a techie, I was writing code, literally, and mm-hmm. I was designed as well. And then I'd also start doing other multiple formats of content, and I got into line management, and you like, there's lots of elements to being a good engineering manager, I use in inverted commas, but I don't find I'm strong or an expert in any of them. So mm-hmm. again, we've recently done like a competency review on what how an engineering manager might come across. You're like, well, mm-hmm. there's so many elements to this. It's about people, it's about initiatives, about communities, about deep skills in tech. And I'm not going to give myself a high grade on any of these, quite frankly. I'm more going to be on the generalist perspective, I think. So is this something that you feel like you're more comfortable in or you just want you would love to be more of a guru in something? Oh, I mean, the teacher in me wants me to be a guru. But I think it's interesting, <laughs> too, that you mentioned, like, like we have a kind of this it's not an imposter syndrome but like i think journalists do face the imposter syndrome a lot more often even yeah. when we are deeply skilled and uh, sometimes if you, as long as you're in a 60th percentile probably at least and higher you're going to be better than most people like in that skill and that's 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 the that's a big deal like that a lot of people only know maybe 20 percent of knowledge in that area or even mm-hmm. less if they're a layperson when it comes to a certain topic engineering especially like there's so many different aspects and I think it's really good that you guys are employing that whole diversity of knowledge because pulling from different areas gives you that transcontextual knowledge so you can actually build up your main trench a lot more. On top of that, too, 
you mentioned on the spectrum kind of like where you fall we often underestimate ourselves too we underestimate what we know but we also mm-hmm. don't know what we don't know as the famous philosopher always says <laughs> yeah. and so there's also kind of situations like do i have ten thousand hours of this skill do i need ten thousand hours and Malcolm Gladwell, his friend, David Epstein, who wrote the book Rage, which is about generalists, actually, David changed Malcolm's perspective on the 10,000 hours because he popularized it in his book. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell popularized it in his book. And it was interesting because at some points, we don't actually need that many hours to master an area because by using another area of knowledge to build up another one using that kind of basis. Like if I use my swimming to build up my knowledge and fitness or even some other disparate area, it can, I can use that as kind of like a translation to help like, okay, this is kind of like this and you can build yourself up much quicker. That- that's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it as well. You can use your experiences and your knowledge in other areas to deeper mm-hmm. understanding as well to translate it when you are doing that training, that education piece, you can take it off. Like you can literally just say, Let's let's explain this in the metaphor of swimming or mm-hmm. barristering or whatever else that you've got a skill in. You've got that deep understanding, and, and I like to do that myself. Like, li- li- literally translating a difficult concept mm-hmm. into something that's more relatable. But again, that's an art. It's not something mm-hmm. that comes very easily. So is, is that another layer of skill that you see in this? Yeah, I mean, it's you have to learn how to translate knowledge, obviously. That is a skill. I think that's a good question there. I mean, what came to mind, actually, just about a month ago, I was training a personal training client of mine, and the idea of fitness in general is pushing past breaking points. Like you have to break down your muscles and then continue after that, at least a little bit, to, in order to break them down just a little bit farther, get them to that point, and then you can recover. And you also have to push past your plateaus. And those plateaus are really hard to push past. But if you know how to do them, it's actually a lot easier than you might think. It's just a matter of, like, you have to do it. Last night, I worked out and sat there and did 120 curls, four different kinds, 30 each. And then I also did twenty, no, 30 push-ups. All, all of those exercises I did in a row. I wanted to push myself because I had light weights. I couldn't necessarily just do heavy weights and make it easier. I had to go fast and without stopping in order to get my workout in. And I remember at the end while I was doing those push-ups, I wanted to stop. And I, I got at 20, like my head too, I have this mental cap like, hey, I want to do just a set of 10, maybe a set of 20. But I have that mental block that says, oh, you got to stop. It's, that's your number. No, I told myself I'm going to do 30. I told myself I'm going to do that. And so I had to push past that breaking point and I got a really amazing workout out of it because I was able to get that last 10 reps. I was telling my personal training client this too, where it's like, hey, at some point you're going to hit that plateau. In order to get past it, you have to kind of overcompensate for a little bit and then bring it back to let yourself not overdo it. And it's kind Mm. of interesting how you have to really play that tug of war in a way. With yourself as well. It's not like you're talking to anyone else about this. You're having this weird dilemma in your own head. I was in a similar boat the other day. I was getting back into the January fitness. I was like, right, I'm going for a run. I'm going to set a low benchmark, like 5K will do, just to get me in back on the road. But I got to the 4.5K mark. I thought, why not go further? I, I, can, mm. I can go for six. And yeah. But again, I was, I was literally at that point on a road where I could have turned right to go home or left to carry on. And I went left yeah. instead. So it's being able to overcompensate your own thought process, again, I think comes with experience and time <laughs> and a lot more practice than we probably give credit to. Yeah, I got a good example if, if we can share a moment here. Go I had a swim it. lesson who I taught for years, and I love this kid. She was amazing, and her brother as well. But it was interesting because whenever I told her to push herself, she had this kind of self, like self consciousness, so to speak. I mean, teenagers are like that, anyways. But it was interesting yeah. how when I told her to swim a certain amount, 
she thought I couldn't do it. She said to herself, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, hey, no saying I can't. Let's give it a shot. So when she would do a lap down and back, she would breathe five times, like two on the way down, one at the wall, two on the way back. That's pretty good. That's better than most people, honestly. I told her to do it in one, just this, just one. And that's probably at the wall and then come back with no breathing. And I've done that before, but that was after years of learning to swim and years of practice after teaching too, no less. And even then I struggle at it. And so it's interesting how like even myself, who is excellent at the skill, would struggle at it, let alone someone else who's still learning it. And she did it in three. And because she didn't do it in one, she thought she failed and she was upset about it. I'm like, no, dude, you did it in three. You improved. You got better. You did great. That was an amazing improvement. And even if you're not doing that every time, you pushed yourself past that plateau. And that was the key there is pushing past that breaking point. And how do you? How did she react to that afterwards? Did, did she realize that she could do more, or is it? Was, do you have to keep reminding her? Something clicked, and I think she like realized, oh, I can actually do more, and I can actually do this. And uh, it was really awesome to see too, because I think she really had this kind of like happiness moment where she's like, okay, cool, I feel accomplished. And that's what I love to see uh, with everyone yeah. I work with in, in my day job as well. When they realize they can do something, they want to do more. And again, recently I've had one engineer who was very reserved, wasn't particularly confident in public speaking. So I was like, well, let's try a small environment, just literally you and the team. Do do a little content piece that you want to share there. Okay, I can do that and did a great job. Right, let's level up. Let's go to a bigger audience. Let's go to about 30-odd people, see how you cope with that. Smashed it. Right, let's mm-hmm. go bigger. Went to 70. I was like, you're doing this. But because I pushed her, and she, I was like, really? I don't think I can. You Again, back to your point, I don't think I can. You don't think you can but you are putting yourself in that box, that's the right, and you need to break down those walls because otherwise you will never improve. Yeah, exactly. So not really a question, just a, an elaboration on you know what you were saying there. Yeah, no, you expanded upon it. That's great. I love that. <laughs> At least I'm understanding and I'm getting there with this. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, so when you kind of realise, yeah, I want to be a poly innovator, what, what's that? mean now what what does that mean as part of your job and well, your career or profession well and some people have mentioned like oh polymath polymath in general generalists are innovative in general so poly innovator almost is redundant and i i kind of laugh at that because it's, it's not necessarily about oh being innovative it's about being innovative in these certain areas that i actually particularly want to be in i want to be an innovator in these areas multiple areas many areas as the poly indicates and so i started out actually pursuing my own do-it-yourself degree. And that's how I started documenting my journey through Poly Innovator. Like I, I saw Gary Vee's document over creates and I was like, you know what? Like I'll do it. And especially since I needed to find some way to prove that I know this knowledge because I was building out my own do-it-yourself degree. Like, Hey, that's not accredited. Obviously I need to find some way to prove it. And I started creating the system called now that, that I now call the modular degree. And that's just have this modular approach to education using online resources like podcasts or videos and courses and audiobooks and books and organizing them into a structure allowing you to actually pursue your education. That became my first phase for Poly Innovator. So I'm trying to innovate how we approach education. And I'm still building out the MVP for that and releasing that template so people can test it out and give me feedback. And so I'm at that stage right now, but I'm hoping to build it into an actual platform people can use and curate and learn. And beyond that, I had other phases. So actually soon after that, I started doing interviews on my own show too, because in May of 2020, everyone was stuck at home and, or at least starting to be stuck at home and depending on where you were in the world. And it was interesting because everyone was bored and everyone was joining Zoom. And I also had a tool called matchmaker.fm that my podcast host built, which is a great tool. I saw you're on there and find people on there. 
And it's interesting because I just found some random guy, Daniel Brockta, a really cool guy, and we started talking. It's like, okay, let's talk about it. And so I had him on the show, and from then on, I had like 96 guests since May of 2020, and this is crazy. So have you found most of your guests through Matchmaker FM now? Probably close to around 70, I think, so most of them. But uh, I definitely went on some deep dives. So I went on Reddit and Twitter, Twitter especially. I just looked polymath and just like on the polymath term, looked under people and scrolled down to the very end. So probably (laughs) 11,000 listings. I just went to the very end and found everybody, opened up a new tab and just saw like maybe they had a polymath in their bio, polymath in their title, something like that. Wow. But I I imagine there's quite a lot of people out there that, because they're polymaths, they do want to be involved in all these things. And yeah. if you reach out and say, do you want to join me on a podcast or a vodcast to talk about yeah. it? Absolutely, because it's part of their nature as a, as a polymath, as an innovator. Let's try it. And I think we mm-hmm. were similar because you reached out to me on the podcast. I'm not matchmaker. Game on. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. We're yeah. ticking a lot of boxes here, right? We're crossing a lot of boundaries. So it's great to hear that. Part of your podcast or vodcast, as you call it. Polycast, in my case. Polycast, my mistake. Yeah. Um you like to use different forms of content, so audio, yeah. video, visuals, text. How do you make that work? It's not an easy balance to make. And I think everyone's got their own strengths in these areas, mm-hmm. on which one they prefer to write and create. Yeah. How do you feel about it? How do you go through that process as well? You had a beautiful question there. I think there was a little bit of confusion because the podcast is one thing, but I also have my Omni content. And the Omni content is the one that does all three content pieces. So I do audio, video, and written. And then the podcast... For the most part, if they're audio, I don't necessarily make any blog posts out of it except for this month. I'm working on these blog posts of curating like each season I have of this series. So I have my little micro fireside polycast where it's a just like three to nine minute episodes. Each season has a certain amount of episodes. I don't, they're not the same per season because I just kind of went randomly with it. I'm going to try to make it more optimized on the line, but they're <laughs> kind of random. And so like I wanted to make a blog post for each season of that series, and that makes it a little bit easier for the people to like go on and say like, hey, what did the first season entail? Because they're not necessarily structured in an episodic format. They're just random ideas that I wanted to share, like the future of social media, for example. And then I, I'm trying to transcribe my interviews to the blog posts, and those are already video and audio. So those are all three. But for the most part, my audio is kind of audio only, unless I make a blog post listing them out. But the Omni content is really interesting because I make a blog post, turn that into a video, then cut out the audio. And that's kind of an interesting format because a lot of people do it the other way. They make a video, cut out the audio, transcribe it to a blog post. And that's the more common approach. And I, I, I think it's a great way of doing it because some people even go to eat. It's more rare, but do podcast, then video, then transcription. And that's a really interesting way. But you can do all three. That's actually a blog post I made recently where you can repurpose in any direction you want. You can make video to audio to written or vice versa and so mm. forth. It's like a little triangle just going into like a recycling pattern. It's really cool. Well, it's interesting you say that because even with what we're doing today, uh, this is the first time I've done a video version of the podcast and I'm really excited to try this, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. But like you say, you can do it one way or the other. I, I, I found it easier to go audio into text because you can transcribe and then just sort of correct it the other way. But equally, I like to write a blog post and then elaborate in a podcast. So it works mm-hmm. both ways. You mentioned even batching stuff together as series in a blog post, which is a great way to do it, and even binging the content to the audiences, which is something mm-hmm. I've been reading about recently. Um, Mira Kothan, she's got some great books around creating content and all the different mechanisms that work about repurposing content rather than it just being, oh, I've done a blog, that will stay there. Sounds like you're just experimenting with everything. 
Yeah, so no, but like repurposing is actually an area I've been really interested in. And for a long time, actually, there's there's some tools like Recast Studio, Repurpose.io that throw out there that um, really help you maximize your content reach. Mm. And the whole idea of content repurposing is something that's not necessarily new. We've been doing it for as long as there's been like newspapers and books. Like yeah. it's, it's been around for ages. But in the whole social media, digital marketing sense, a lot of people don't realize that it's possible. And Gary Vee put out a slide deck a few years back of like how he makes 60 pieces of content a day. And even that was very like in the clouds, not very descriptive. And so Doc Williams, which who was a guest on my show, awesome dude, go check out his channel, honestly. But like he, uh, he made a version 2.0 with team Vayner's help. Even that was still like kind of limited in a way, but it was still really helpful to like, helping people understand like, Hey, there's more you could do. And so my kind of motivation was, again, Gary Vee, he, he, and multiple keynotes. I can't tell you how many times I saw this. In multiple keynotes, he's like, you need to be putting out 100 pieces of content a day. And that could be like 50 tweets. It could be like 10 TikToks. It could be 10 videos. It doesn't matter what kind of content. It doesn't matter if it's pillar content or micro content. It's just a matter of that quantity. And he was trying to get people to think outside that box because we have that. Going back to the push-ups I did last night, it, my box was 10 push-ups per set maybe 20 if i'm pushing it my box did not account for doing 30 in one set and so by pushing past that box i was able to improve much more same with content pushing past that box limit and not to mention too like you can take a repurposing to a whole nother level and really reach every platform if you really wanted to you you really can and, and you mentioned like the socials i think people feel like they can't repeat themselves in social media why not you the have newspapers to. do it the broadcasters do it really well especially the news channels nowadays but why can't we it's, it's not even saying it doesn't have to be fresh it could be stuff from two years ago you go actually this is still mostly relevant i'm just going to patch a little update because i've learned a few things since then but mm -hmm. at least you've got context and some authority from that original piece of content that you published in whatever, for, whatever format it was like I said, I haven't transcribed my interviews yet, and because I just I was recording them back to back. I I still have two I need to get out that I recorded last like summer, and it's right. like I feel really bad, but I've been doing it every month as much as possible since then. Because I had like twenty people in front of these people that I'm getting out now, and I haven't transcribed any of them yet. And so I'm working on that. I have like a half a dozen like already transcribed. I just need to like obviously edit them, make sure they work. And like you said too, I also like to make blog posts about it too. So my my goal is to make a blog post with takeaways, have the description of the YouTube video there just in case because there's sometimes have links and stuff like that and then i'll put the transcription underneath there and just make a massive blog post for each one good for seo good for anybody who's curious because anyone, if anyone's curious enough to see the blog post they're going to want as much as possible anyways but um it's just some of these were back in 2020 which is now two years ago which is kind of crazy to think about yeah uh, and so I'm still repurposing that two years later. And I told them, like, hey, I know I haven't, like, transcribed it yet, but I will get to it. And I told my guests, some of them might be mad at me that I haven't transcribed it yet. It's like, I'm sorry. Like, I was busy. I'm doing this solo. And so it's one of those things where I'm still going to be creating that content, repurposing that content now. I mean, you've touched on a few interesting points there. I just want to check on. You have mentioned um, all the different forms of content you've got, the, the stuff you write and make. Which ones engage best, do you find, from looking mm. at maybe the metrics and stuff like that? Well, my metrics haven't grown that much. I have like 3K on TikTok, but that's like the biggest one I have. When it comes to other platforms, I only have a couple hundred subscribers on YouTube and uh, I don't know how many on the blog per se, but I'm still kind of growing. I'm still I'm still in that early stage. And with the meta niche of polymathy, I don't grow very much. And yeah. it's, it's a lot slower. It's gonna, I think it's going to be a lot like Linus Tech Tips, who even though they had a niche and they were very prolific and they were the first on the scene, they have like 10 million subscribers now, a great channel. Uh, but... 
they they never had a viral moment. They just grew over 10 years, basically. That's how I'm thinking this is going to have to be because I've been creating content for years. Mm-hmm. Like I said, decade for blocking, five years for podcasting, four years for video or four or five. And so I've been at it for a while. But when it comes to what engages most is video. And I'm really excited too because we're so early on like YouTube re- uh, shorts or Instagram reels that you could just repost the same content to all three, TikTok, Reels, and Shorts. As long as it doesn't have a watermark, you could post the same thing and still have that kind of growth aspect, which is really cool. Uh, one last thing is that you, you mentioned how you take your blog post and make an audio version of it. I do the video version, so I, I just go straight into video. And yeah. I think it's interesting because like sometimes my best posts are the ones that are audio and video. They're not omni-content, but they're just audio and video. And I think that's kind of cool. That's good. It's really interesting to hear, though, because I think everyone's got their own kind of experience yeah. with this, and it's, it doesn't fit everyone. It depends on yeah. what your, who your audience are as well, because you might find that the polymath audience are more visual rather than mm-hmm. audio, and might find that techies, for example, are more audio than video. I don't know, but it's just it's really interesting to hear how you found this so far. If you need help with your side project, either for inspiration, support, or just general feedback remember to join our On The Side community on Slack. There are a number of previous guests from the podcast in there, including Sam Hardacre, Mike Street, Dom Hodgson, and Mark Lismore. Pop on over to ontheside.network, which will take you straight through to registration, and I'll see you in there. Well, so, um, what, what sort of goals you've got for this now, then? What, what are you aiming for oh. in the next couple of years? I... I, this, I, I hmm. this whole show is about making life work, right? I am yeah. trying to work so hard at making my life work right now. It's been right. hard because my goal was to create 60 pieces of content, just like not 60 pieces, 60 days of content straight. And right. 2019, I remember building out the Omni content system for the first time. And I wanted, I created it to be simple enough and systemized enough so that I could create content every single day. And it was it was really close. It was really close to it. I only modified it a little bit a couple of times since then, but they were decent modifications to where it made it simpler. And I made like uh, maybe four, and then I made another one six months later, and then another one a year later. Like I barely touched it until basically the end of last year. And it was really frustrating because I was like, I need to get this content out. I need to, I have a lot of great ideas. And right now, I was telling myself, for some reason, December, which is my worst month of the year, sadness, like seasonal effective, you know. But uh, yep. I was actually really productive. It was really interesting. And then this month, for some reason, something flipped. And for some reason, I have been productive. And it's really weird. But I also started a new work. For I work for my family member to help her out because uh, she's going back to work. So I'm taking care of things on the other end. And so I started changing my whole work dynamic in that regard. I stopped teaching last year, which was a big part of my life for the past better half of a decade. So that's weird. I'm still getting used to that. And I'm creating new content series now and new plans for content, making sure I'm more prolific. So it's really interesting how this dynamic has changed. And I've been pushing back my transcriptions because I still, I'm still trying to figure out how to transcribe and get it organized. For some reason, transcription tools, no matter which one you use, they always have issues with polymath or poly innovator or just any kind of weird words like that. And so we throw that around a lot in the podcast. Like you're gonna you're gonna have issues with that in this episode, I feel like too. <laughs> like these tools don't don't know how to treat those words. So I'm trying to figure out how I need to go in there and edit it to make sure it actually flows right. Interesting. So you I mean we'll go into the live side of things in a moment, but it sounds it sounds like you've got some nice 
goals. They might be dream goals, but at least you know what you're trying to work towards. Oh, and they weren't dream. I'm going to do them. <laughs> you're going to nail these things. But you mentioned the word, I want to be prolific in this stuff. And, and I'm going through a similar position right now. That, like, What is my goal? And am, am I a side projects guy or am I a, a tech leader? I'm still trying to work out where my head is at with this stuff. But people don't generally look at me as like, this guy knows how to make side projects happen. So maybe that's how I reposition myself with my content mm-hmm. and start thinking about how to fill the con- the calendar of content using that as a goal. So it sounds like you're not, you're not in that situation, but you're just like, right now I just need to nail this content and get it out there. So for some reason in my mind, when you were saying that the brand name, the technologist completionist came to mind, like you know how to complete like technology endeavors. And so I don't know that that might be kind of a cool series or title. I, I thought that would be kind of just thought of worth sharing. Could be. I mean, like yeah. this is why I, I love the ideas that come back from the people I talk to, because this is where the best conversations come out. Yeah. Well, and when it comes to creating content too, I mean, obviously you have to make sure you don't burn out in 2017. I burned out really hard and right. it took me a hot minute to get back into just the gear things. I wasn't even working out. I burned out so bad, Ooh, which is like yeah. as a personal trainer, it's kind of a big deal. And so it was interesting how cha- learning from those mistakes. That's why I quit teaching last year. Cause I, I could see the signs of burnout coming out. And luckily I was able to avoid that. And I'm kind of feeling that now I think, Partially, it's because I bought an Xbox over Christmas, and that didn't necessarily help my productivity. But I realized that even though I have a gaming PC, which works as a editing rig too, like I can play most games on there, and I can relax and decompress. I don't find myself doing that. I don't associate my computer with work, and so I don't necessarily associate it with relaxing. I did have this idea with a conversation with somebody the other day where I can use a different desktop and having that different context that might help a little bit. So I figured that might be a useful knowledge for your audience. Uh, using a different desktop, changing your environment, at least digitally, in order to help that kind of facilitation. But I find myself playing on the Xbox, sitting on the couch. is a great way to balance out like this decompression, relaxing. Didn't help the fact that I've been staying up late. Like last night, I stayed up to almost 2 a.m. playing Mass Effect, Ooh. which is probably why I was so tired when we first got on this call. But now <laughs> I feel great. But it's like, okay, I need to learn that balance again. But yeah. You mentioned a few things there, right? Compartmentalizing the work day for, to your fun times, as it mm-hmm. were. You know, I, I do the same. I've got one laptop I use for all my personal stuff and one laptop for work. So I know that I can close one day to get the one out. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm separating those different, you know, boundaries. Mm-hmm. But you've also talked about the gaming. And obviously that's something that allows you to unwind and to relax. And if you need it. If, you, if, you're, if you're recognizing the signs of burnout, then whatever it takes to do that. I mean, you, you've been through it a couple of times by the sound of it. How do you try and prepare yourself better now if, from those experiences? Do you, mm. the warning signs you catch? That's a good question. So when it comes to burnouts, you can see it over time. So I'm very in tune with my body. I, one of my philosophies I, I, I talk about on my channel is the four pillars, right? The mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And your goal in life is to balance all of them and try to build them all up. And I find that a lot of us have our own pillar that we start out with. Some people are very spiritual, so they start out with the spirit pillar. Some people are very EQ-centric, so they start out with emotions. More introverted, logical people might go for the mind pillar. I went straight into body and went straight into, like, fitness. And so I noticed that, like, when my body starts reacting in a certain way, when I start feeling more tired all the time, fatigued, or even just physically stressed, I can notice how it's going to be impacting other areas. So sometimes the burnout may not be causing the physical stress, but the other way around could be the case. Like, my physical stress is causing the burnout too, so I need to work out more or I need to work out less, maybe eat more, take some turmeric, get some more tea. Because I remember, like, when I was a teenager, 
actually had issues because the cold was so bad. It was making my bones ache and preventing me from doing a lot of things. It was just, I just wasn't taking care of my body in the right way. So I started drinking green tea and it had turmeric in it, which helps with that inflammatory too. Felt a lot better. And it's just making changes like that and noticing those changes, being in tune with your body, so to speak, or even your mindset too. And so those are the kind of things I usually tell people, which is kind of hard. You have to build up to that. But working out more, knowing like in the wintertime, I know I'm going to be feeling that seasonal affective disorder. So I need to prepare for that. Like I need to make sure I have I might, for example, I drink too much caffeine, right? I know I want to quit caffeine and I know I need to at least decrease it. Yeah. I mean, like right here, I know I need to decrease it, but the problem is in the wintertime, I don't have that attention units as Tim Ferriss says to waste on not drinking caffeine. I did quit soda, and that's something I'm spending my attention on now. And I, I don't drink hardly at all, but I did quit alcohol too and trying to make sure I just have a healthier body because those both those things gave me really bad heartburn, and it's one of those things I need to take care of my body that way better. And so other people can drink those things and probably be okay, although technically that is a poison, so don't do that. <laughs> uh, my, my point is I made those changes. I can't necessarily get rid of caffeine during this time of year because I'm already struggling enough. I can wait for the summertime when I'm more energetic to quit caffeine or decrease my caffeine and balance that out. And, and the key word there is balance. And we, we keep bringing this word up, especially on this podcast, but everyone's got their own you know, limits. Everyone's got their own challenges. And you've talked about seasonal depression. You talked about your own body. You've talked about your mind decompressing but also being able to adjust because it's not kind of close to saying right that's it no more caffeine ever again no, no, no. yeah i'm going to keep some of it in the winter because i will need that and just to get me through the day but in the summer i'll then reduce it again and get back onto the yeah. good teas and the, the detoxy mode but at least you're in tune with your body and i think a lot of people struggle with this especially through lockdown a lot of people are going well i can't go to the gym so mm-hmm. that's that's a write-off but you can do other things i'm literally going downstairs doing a workout with some weights and then getting back into work after, after lunch break because it puts me in a better headspace. It does. And hopefully I can motivate you to do it today after this conversation as well. Well, I'm doing it and I'm, you're doing it, so we should get everyone doing it, which maybe I'd yes. like a, a make life work fitness regime. Do it. Or like, let's make a special episode where we're just like encouraging people to work out while we're talking. We just do everyone do an online live workout. No, but it'd be kind of interesting. We can use like Twitter Spaces or ends in Caster at the same yeah. time and have like a live version and the recorded version. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, every once in a while in our conversations, throw in a certain exercise for people to do. Like, hey, go do a uh, curl, go do some push ups. If you can't do those kind of push ups, do wall push ups. Give some alternatives, give some exercises, then continue with the conversation. And this is where your poly innovation comes back again because yeah. you've used all those skills you've got in your background to go, let's make something cool out of what we've got. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for using the word polyinnovation too. I, a lot of people don't use it yet, so I'm, I'm glad you paid attention to that. So cheers to that. No problem. So, um, well, I think we touched on many areas now. So we've been through like your your profession. You talked about all the side projects and your general well-being. How, is there anything else you do to just chill out? Because it sounds like you, you, you're getting a better balance now. But yeah, is there anything else you just to, to unwind with your family or whoever? So... I'm young. I'm I'm only in my mid twenties, but I I I experienced death growing up, and I uh, especially my late mentor, and that hit me hard. And I realized that like I had a lot of family members who've been sick over the years, cancer or some other kind of serious disease. <clears throat> and so learning how to appreciate family at a young age is something I'm really proud of that I've been able to do. And I've been trying to spend as much time with family as possible because you don't know how long they're gonna be around, and even if they live to be another fifty years, that's great. I hope so. 
But making sure I make time now at my young age to spend time with family, regardless of who they are, and regardless of like, I don't really hold grudges. Like I only have one family member I'm actually like angry at, and that's because they've burned bridges with everybody. And like, right. honestly, even then I can learn to forgive that person. I'm not going to hold a grudge because that's going to prevent any future relationship. And so like being able to go past that. Um, so f- spending time with family is kind of one thing. Uh, this kind of touches on content too, actually. So last night I spent time with my cousin and he likes to watch me play games sometimes, which is kind of cool. Cause I actually want to start game streaming in the future too, which is another source of content. Although nice. that might have a weird life balance there. Cause like gaming is my decompression. If I'm creating content too, though, that might work, but if it doesn't work, it's going to really hinder my decompression. So that's, that's interesting. But, uh, last night, I was playing Halo, uh, the new Halo Infinite. And it was really interesting because I played the multiplayer on my computer before the campaign. I just finished the campaign like last week. I, I binged through it. It was a lot of fun. I got really good at it. I haven't played the multiplayer since then. And he was like, I really want to see the multiplayer. Okay, let's hop it on. I go in there and I just demolish everybody. I'm, not, I, I'm bragging now because I was really excited about this because I just went on there and just smashed. My first game, I got 20 kills, which is like the most I've ever gotten in the game, let alone in most games. Like 20 kills in one match is crazy because you the, the whole match was to get 50 kills and then you win. Like your team of four people had to get 50 kills. I got 20 of that. I thought that was crazy. And I, I played a few more matches and a lot of them were all the same way where I was the top or second player. I was like, cool. And I was making a whole bunch of clips as I got really cool, like no scope shots and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I can take those clips, put it on TikTok, something like that. Use cross clip or join combo to make clips for vertical format and then boom. Wicked. So you're using your gaming to just kind of create a bit of content here and there just to show your multi-skills again. You know, you put it out there. I I had to brag a little bit because I was really excited about that. I was like, dang, I didn't realize I was that good at this game. But I could see the, the, the energy coming from you from just saying, I, I, yeah. I did a really good job on a computer game, and yeah. great, it turns you off. Going back a little bit, though, you talked about your family and, you know, spending mm-hmm. more time with them. Do you, how do you find that time with them? Is it, is it like weekends? Is it evenings? What, where, do you, where do you get to do that? What's interesting is that I've never followed the traditional, like, nine-to-five format. Like, I've never had a full-time job. I've, I've worked two or three jobs at a time where I'd work the same amount of hours as full-time, but I never had a full nine-to-five job or eight-to-six job. And so the interesting thing is when it comes to making time, my work, when I taught those classes, I would teach like five classes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m., Tuesday, Thursday is 5.30 p.m., and those are like stationary every week. Those are times I could not meet anybody or something like that, but I could meet personal training clients or some lessons before or after those classes, or I could meet people, I could have lunch with family after my morning class, for example. And so just squeezing people in, even now, my time is even more open technically. I try to be sure I'm productive, and I'm, I'm working on that balance of where should I time block certain things. But like I had coffee with my grandpa just the other day, and we we don't talk very much until recently. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm building up that relationship again with him. And so I just threw up like you. I was like, let's throw a time out there. Okay, Wednesday works. Let's do it. So it's it's really kind of just throwing something at the wall, see what sticks, and then making that work. So you you just fit in work around life really by the sound of it. You, yeah. you, you've got you got your commitments, I guess, but really life comes first and then your extra work and side projects come after that. For sure. And it's really like like as the title says, like making life work. Like you have to spend time with family. Like you don't want to be eighty years old and regret not spending time with family. And a lot of my clientele were sixty, seventy, eighty years old. My oldest client in one of my classes was ninety six. And it really wow. puts a perspective that you and I are both really young. And regardless of your like I have a friend who's about to turn thirty and he's like, Oh, I'm so like I'm gonna be so old. It's like, dude, you're still young, you're still a baby, get out of here. Forty year olds are still baby. Hell, even fifty, you're still really young. I saw a TikTok the other day of a seventy five year old 
old man. And he, uh, the interviewer was asking, I'm like, how do you feel? He's like, well, some days I feel like I'm 75. I wake up and I'm like, oh, okay. And then other days I feel like I'm 25 and I'm excited for the day. It's like, that's really amazing. Like even at that age, he still feels really young. And that's, that's, that's how humanity is. We just have to realize it. We should be. And I say this to a lot of people because I'm in my 40s now and I don't, I know I don't act it or look it sometimes, but I, I say age is a number. You, if you behave what you want to be, right? I'll still go and sit down with my children and play with Lego because it's so much fun. And then yeah. I'll go and be a grown up at work and then go back to home and be a silly again. It's just being, just enjoy life and pick those things that make you feel fulfilled are the ways I find I get more out of it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, I thought you were in your 30s, so good on you. <laughs> it's working, all the workouts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've covered most of the areas I want to go through. So is there any sort of final tips you want to give to our listeners about how they could become more polymathic? Yeah. Like word? <laughs> I was thinking actually generalist too, because generalist is a lot more common term. I think that interestingly enough that a lot of people don't realize that humanity – itself is more generalist than specialist, which is really interesting. There was a study, I don't remember what what school it was, it was a famous school in the US, but they did a study on how like Homo sapiens evolved and why we evolved, but like Neanderthals and Homo erectus didn't. And one of the things their theory says is that, hey, because we are more generalist, we can adapt to new biomes and environments and foods and dif- different stimuli. We were able to adapt because we were generalists. If, if we were specialists like some of the other uh, hominins, we wouldn't be able to adapt nearly as well. We probably wouldn't have survived nearly as well. And throughout our history, we've had generalists. Even now, we, we talk about living in a specialist society for the past 100 years since the Second Industrial Revolution. But even though we live in that like construct of being a social, not socialist, a construct of being a specialist society, it's interesting how like we have entrepreneurs and we glorify entrepreneurs for being so successful. Well, guess what? If you're an entrepreneur, you're wearing many hats. You are a generalist. You're not a specialist. Full stack developers are generalists because they have to know full stack, uh, uh, fronts, back, and middle to get all the different codes work together. Like CodeJS is more middle than it is front or back, and you have to know both in order to use it. And then the idea of like engineering, like you said earlier, like having that generalist approach is way more efficient than being just a pure specialist. Mm. And so we actually live in a more generalist society and understanding that it's okay to be generalist is where a lot of my interviews go towards. Like a lot of people I talk to don't realize they're polymathic. And when they do, they feel a lot more accepted, at least from what I ex- experienced on as a host. I saw like there was something clicking. Like, hey, like, like that one swim lesson where what I said clicked. When I told him, like, hey, you're more polymathic. You should embrace that. You, you do great when you're doing that. You're more yourself. I saw that click in their eyes, and I was like, okay, this is great. This is why I do this content. It's why I create it. And I'm hoping to inspire people to, like, let that click. It's okay to be a generalist or jack of all trades. Well, there we go. I mean, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, from Dustin M., Poly Innovator, it doesn't matter which one you are. You just, just accept it and enjoy it. And, you know, as, as humans, as you mentioned, we are naturally going to be more generalist anyway. But... Mm-hmm. it's been a huge education talking to you obviously Dustin. I'm like, you know my mind is blown from all these ideas and i'm sure well, some of the listeners would be in a very similar position um if they want to find out more about this stuff and you know talk to you about this where do they go can you give us some direction so taking that polymethical approach i try to be omni-channel or multi-channel depending on the term you use and so i'm on every platform including blockchain <laughs> social networks and everything too so if you find it was at poly innovator with one l you'll find me anywhere in fact i try to challenge people when i'm on shows like this because if there's a platform i'm not on it means i don't know about it yet and so like if someone finds me if they don't they don't find me on a certain platform i challenge them to tell me about it so i can go on that platform there we go uh and then my website is polyinnovator.space. Beautiful. And we'll get all that in the show notes so people can Thank find you. it as well. 
but um, genuinely, it's been a, an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Dustin. Yes, um, it's it's blown my mind on a Friday afternoon. I must be honest. There's a lot of things to go through, but it's been wonderful, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Oh, definitely. And it's going to start my Friday off really well. It's 10 a.m. here, so I'm going to go excited. You're going to kick it all off now. Let's yeah. see what you make today. And hopefully you won't be gaming until 2, 2 a.m. again tonight. <laughs> hopefully. But even not, it's good decompression time. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, man. Big love and thanks to Dustin for joining us on this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. Fantastic insights to his ideas around polymathy, innovation, and how he fits it around his own lifestyle. All his details are in the show notes, along with some of the references we made. But do challenge him on any platform he's not on, as at PolyInnovator. I'll stick to the Twitter for now. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like and review in your favourite podcast app. It helps us to know who's listening and lets others discover us. You can reach out to us on the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at MakeLifeWorkPod. You can email hello at MakeLifeWorkPodcast.com. We check every single email and find all the details and show notes and archives on our website. Until next time, I've been Cy Jobling, and this is the Make Life Work Podcast. Music.